Grab your Bibles and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I see the video will help you find that place uh, in, in the Bibles if you use one of the ones in the chairs. Uh, while you're finding that, a quick announcement. I forgot the Keyswetters very much appreciate your prayers, said they can sense and feel them every day. Spencer is getting better, but they're going to stay another week uh, down to help with the family. So the BLT that meets at their house, Ted and Jan's, will be meeting at Ted and Jan's house. So if you're part of that this week, uh, be sure to keep that change of location in mind. We had a bit of a break last Sunday as uh, Greg Fell came, shared a good message with us, but now we're getting back to our study of this book, uh, Following Jesus in a Messy World. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, chapter 10, verses 7 through 18, but to get us started, I just want to read the, the, the last two verses of the chapter. I think they're the key verses of, the, of this passage, and it says this, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father God, we just thank you for a great opportunity this morning to, uh, to hear of what you're doing around the world um, and to know, God, what you're doing in our own hearts and lives. And so we just pray your spirit would be free to work in us today. Uh, work through your word, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a, a time uh, when I thought I was a pretty good skier. Um, my junior, senior year in high school, you know, I, I born in Rapid City, raised up there. We, a group of uh, friends and I went up to Terry Peak fairly often. And, and amongst my friends, I, I was kind of top of the pecking order as, as we were doing it, or one of the ones there. I wasn't afraid of any slope, no matter how steep it was. I would tackle it, and, and I could ski the moguls, uh, the bumps, and get through that. I uh, didn't necessarily look real good doing it, but I could get through without crashing uh, all the time, usually. And, and, and uh, you know, when it came to w- being down at the bottom of the hill, waiting for the rest of the group to catch up, it was usually me that was down there first or waiting for someone who had wrecked uh, to get their stuff together, all that kind of stuff. So I thought I was a pretty good skier. And then I went to college, and my, my first year at college, I didn't get to go skiing at all because I didn't have any money. But my sophomore year, I was invited to go to Whistler Mountain over spring break with a group of guys that had rented a chalet there. And they felt bad for me because they had heard that I was going to be stuck at the school over spring break because I didn't have uh, enough money to get back home here to South Dakota. And uh, so they said that as long as I was willing to sleep on the couch because all the beds were taken... Uh, um, that I could come for free. Uh, I just had to buy my own lift tickets, which back then they were really cheap. I got like a five-day pass for 75 bucks. And so I thought, man, this is a great deal. I only knew one guy in the group, but that didn't matter to me because I was going to get to go skiing. And, and so that first day, we all go together as a group, and we go out to the gondola, uh, you know, skiing at Terry Peak. That was a different experience for me going up in this gondola. We went all the way up to the top of the mountain. And if you're not a, a, a skier, uh, they, they rank the slopes. They rate the slopes for you with symbols uh, so you can know their level of difficulty. Green circle for easy, blue square for intermediate difficulty, and black diamond for what they call expert uh, level. And we get up to the top, and this group of guys, uh, we all get our skis on, and they head over to this slope with a double black diamond. I didn't even know such a thing existed. 
And, and so we get to the top of this slope. We all get ready. To, and I'm looking down this like, what? And, and they all take off down the slope looking like Olympic skiers. And, you know, I, I did my, my best. I went after them, but I couldn't keep up. I kept crashing. Uh, it didn't take them long before they were uh, pretty tired of waiting for me. And so in a rather humbled state, I said, you know, you guys just, just go on ahead and, and go skiing and I'll, I'll just ski on my own. And, you know, being the nice guys they were, they were politely waiting for me each time and they were much relieved when I gave them permission uh, to, to go on. And as they took off and I'm watching them go, I figured out that I was only a good skier when I compared myself to myself or to my group of friends that we had all started skiing at the same time and I just happened to be a little bit better than them. And I thought about that incident again as I was reading and studying our passage for this week. Because this passage, it really asks the question, how do you know, how do you determine whether or not you're a good Christian? If a person is taking their faith in Jesus Christ, their walk with Him seriously, well, then they want to know how, how they're doing. How do I measure up? Am I okay? How do I even tell? And most importantly, whose assessment really matters, right? Is it my own assessment of me and how I'm doing? Or, or the pastor of the church I happen to attend? Or maybe a spouse or a, a parent or someone else? Who, who gets to decide where I'm ranked? And you know, it's, it's possible that there's some people sitting in this congregation who have been hurt by this issue because, you know, frequently there are, there are people out there who set themselves up as the quality control officers uh, for how good other people are doing in their Christian life. There are those who, who seem to believe that their spiritual gift is criticizing other believers and their contribution to the body of Christ is in letting everyone else know where they don't measure up. And maybe you've met a, a person or a pastor or, or a church that was like that. And they set themselves up as, as judge over your Christian life. And then worse than that, they're not only judge, but they also kind of uh, decide to take on the role of jury and executioner as well and, and carry those things out. And maybe you've been hurt by that. So here's the thing. The people or the churches, uh, organizations that tend to do that usually have uh, made up their own standard for judging. And of course, they would, you know, they would claim it's you know, biblical or godly pretty much in the same way that the Pharisees claimed that all their rules uh, were pleasing to God, right? But if you don't meet their standard, uh, then you are condemned. And, and this group uh, does that. And, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul, if you remember, as he's facing in 2 Corinthians. There was a group of false teachers that had infiltrated the Corinthian church and they had supposedly measured Paul by their standards and Paul was found wanting. And we've already seen a couple of times as we've gone through this book in, in ways that they did this, but it comes up again in this passage here. Uh, for instance, look at verse 10. It says, 
For they say they would be this group, these, these people who are judging. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. So see, this, this group of, of false teachers uh, had to discredit the apostle Paul in order to build themselves and elevate themselves up in the eyes of the congregation. And apparently they figured that one of the best ways to be able to do that would be to make fun of Paul. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll just make fun of him. And, and so they disparaged both the way he looked and the way he spoke. You know, there, there was a book that was written about the Apostle Paul, uh, and it was written around the year 200. Might have actually been a little earlier than that, but, you know, fairly close uh, to the events. And it contains a physical description of Paul. Now, Nobody knows for sure if this is an accurate description or not, but the experts who study this kind of thing uh, suggest that it may be truthful because it's rather an unflattering portrait of him. And, and, you know, the book overall is positive. It's pro-Paul. And and so they're thinking, you know, if, if you're writing a book that is is a positive thing about this if you were going to fudge a little bit about his looks you would make him better looking and sound better than he is not not worse so they think that there might be some accuracy to this description anyways this is the way that book pictures paul's personal appearance it says he was quote a man of little stature thin-haired upon the head which which i'm thinking looks fairly handsome i i, I know it's just my own you know uh so that, you know, up to that point, it's good. It's going good. But uh, then it goes on to say, he was crooked in the legs of good state of body. Now, to us, that sounds good, right? Of good state of body. We picture someone physically fit and healthy and stuff. But back then, what good state of body meant is it, you had some fat on you. Um, um, because, you know, back in those days, if you didn't have the means or the food, you went without and, and, and you know, your ribs were sticking out. So uh, that he had, uh, it goes on with the description, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. So basically, if we're going to put this together, he was a chubby, short, balding, bandy-legged man with big nose and a unibrow. GQ would not have put him on their cover. Now, you know, whether this description of him is true or not, these false teachers were able to say that his, his physically, he was unimpressive. That's the word that is used. And then they said his speech was contemptible. Again, nobody knows for sure exactly what that means. We know that Paul was a very educated man and, and he could uh, pr- produce powerful, logical arguments uh, to support or destroy a particular issue. And he was able to do that both in his sermons and in his letters. So this contemptible speech does not mean that he was uh, stupid, uh, but rather it seems to have more to do with the way uh, he delivered his words, the manner of his speech. And, And so basically, it means they're just making fun of the way he talked. 
And there have been suggestions that have said that perhaps Paul had uh, a speech impediment of some type, uh, that he stuttered, uh, that he had a lisp, that he had some other type of speech impediment. We have no idea. There's no way to, to prove it one way or the other. But what we do know that is that there was something about the way he spoke that allowed these people to poke fun at him. And they were using his less than stellar good looks and his poor speaking ability as a reason to discredit his apostleship and therefore to elevate their own position. And they were saying, he doesn't measure up. And, and, and if you remember, again, it wasn't just these things. Earlier in the book, uh, they, they had accused him of being double-minded, flip-flopping, you know, can't trust him, can't make up uh, things he says. Uh, they impugned his integrity, otherwise bashed his character. And they were pointing the finger at him and said, Paul, you're found wanting. He didn't cut it. He wasn't good enough. Have you ever had that happen to you? Someone stuck their finger in your face. They looked down their nose at you and saying, you just don't cut the mustard. I, I never really understood what cutting mustard had to do with anything, but, but you get the point, right? It's not a pleasant experience. But we can learn a few things from the way the Apostle Paul handled this situation. And the first thing to understand is that those people's assessment of you doesn't really matter. Look at verse 12. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Now, the, the first half of that verse is um, uh, kind of sarcastic. Basically, Paul is saying, oh, we wouldn't dare compare ourselves with them, which, you know, I mean, how can you compare yourselves with someone who has elevated their own status uh, by their own standards? I mean, you can never keep up. And he says, we wouldn't do that. But, but then in the second half, uh, it, it says, uh, hey, you know what? They're just comparing themselves with themselves. And, and that's just plain stupid. He, he was actually a little bit more diplomatic and polite when he said they are without understanding, but it means they were plain stupid. Um, that's what they're doing. Uh, to compare yourself only to yourself or only to those in your group who have already measured up to your self-described uh, 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 merits uh, is meaningless. I, I once read a commentator who was of the very liberal persuasion and in his writings, he said he, like most modern-day Christians, didn't believe that the miracles of the Bible were really true. Instead, he said, you know, they're, they're just stories with a metaphysical or spiritual meaning that, that we need to learn from. And then he made a comment that went along the lines of saying, you know, no intelligent person that I know of would believe that these miracles were real. You see what he's doing? He's measuring himself by himself and his group. If you believe the way he believes, you're intelligent. But if you don't believe the way he believes, well, you're, you're, you're not intelligent. And Paul would say he is without understanding. Guys who, who do that, who, who tell you that you don't measure up based on their own standard, they can make you feel bad. 
uh, they can cause you to start having doubts about where you're at in your spiritual life and how things are going. And, 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 and you know, they, they say things like they're so advanced in their spiritual life. They have the real and deeper and, and true understanding. So you need to be able to follow them. And, and they make you start having doubts. So what's our first step to combating uh, those types of issues when they come up? We'll take a look at verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Now, at this particular juncture, Paul's not even going to worry about the reality or not of whether they're truly Christians. He's just, for the sake of argument, saying, hey, they claim to be Christians. Well, we'll look at this. We, I, am a Christian as well. I belong to Christ as well. Um, why is that important? Well, this. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then Jesus and only Jesus gets to evaluate you. The assessment uh, of any other person doesn't really matter. You know, Paul addressed the same kind of issue with the Romans. There were people in that church who were pointing the fingers at others and disparaging their walk and their faith with Christ and saying they didn't measure up for a number of different reasons. For instance, there were some of them that were saying, uh, if you want to be really spiritual, you have to be a vegetarian. You, you forget, forget those meats sold by the pagans in, in the meat market. You should only eat vegetables. And if you only eat vegetables, uh, then, then that makes you really spiritual. Or there were others in that group that were saying, you should only worship God on Saturday. I mean, after all, Saturday is the day that God set up as holy. And if you worship and sing your praises and serve God on, on some other day, well, then that doesn't really count. And, and you're just not as good a Christian if you don't, if you don't worship on Saturday. And, and Paul was looking at this and saying, no, 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 guys. That, that's not the way it works. You're all wrong. You're not supposed to be looking at one another and judging each other's level of spirituality on these external things. Stop comparing yourself with one another. He, he put it this way in Romans 14.4. You, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So you belong to Christ. He is the master, you're the servant. And that means he is the only one that gets to pass in evaluation on your life and your faith. And guess what? He's not comparing you to anyone else. He's going to make you stand. It's called grace. His grace is going to work in your life to make you acceptable. You may not be acceptable to all those people who are judging by their own standards, but that doesn't matter. You will be acceptable to Him, and that is all that matters. Therefore, we don't need to concern ourselves with what someone else may be saying. Now, please understand, this, this is not to say that there is not good value in having a mentor uh, or, or taking a, a spiritual advice or even some criticism from another believer, uh, that's something that the Bible actually encourages for all of us to do, but they, that should be done in, in a mutually beneficial relationship of love and care for one another, not in a situation where someone has self-appointed them, th themselves as the judge over you and, and, and condemning your life that way. And that's what these false teachers were doing to Paul. So, hey... 
Jesus is going to evaluate your life, not other people. Go by what his standard says. Now, there's a second thing we have to watch out for, and that's self-evaluation. Because you know what? You can fall into a dangerous trap with that, going back to my skiing illustration, right? When I was judging myself by myself and my other friends who had kind of started skiing at the same time I started, well, I considered myself a really good skier. See, the, the thing is, we can always find people who are worse than us. And so if we're doing a self-evaluation and we're using as the length of our, the measure of our evaluation, other people, but we're finding the other people who, at least in our estimation, are not doing as well spiritually as we're doing, well then, hey, that means I'm doing pretty good. Um, there's no, no value in that. In this situation, we have the tendency to, to ba- a judge based on external criteria, right? I attend church more often than they do. So, you know, that makes me more spiritual, more uh, uh, better. Uh, I, I give more money to special projects, you know. When the Gideons come, I'm making sure I'm going to support that. When somebody else comes, I, I'm going to support those things. I know all the old hymns and praise songs, even those obscure ones that... Craig picks out, you know, that nobody else knows. I know them all. And so that makes me really spiritual, you know. I have a bigger Bible, you know. But, you know, I, you know we, we, we pick out these dumb standards and, and then we judge by that. But commending yourself is meaningless because guess what? God is not comparing you to any other Christians. He doesn't care how you're doing or how you think you're doing compared to someone else. As verse 18 says, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So the big question that we all have to answer is who does the Lord commend? Who will pass muster when it comes to God's evaluation of their life. And there are only two people whom the Lord will commend. Number one, those who live an absolutely perfect life because perfection is God's standard. That's what He's looking for. So if you've never sinned, if you've never blown it, if you've never slipped up, never failed in any moral uh, way whatsoever, well, God will commend you. Uh, Unfortunately, that would leave all of us in pretty bad shape, wouldn't it? So fortunately, there is one other type of person that God will commend. And that is the person who has entrusted their life and their eternity to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so whatever failings you've had, whatever sins you've committed, whatever faults may lay hidden or even exposed in your life, if you have confessed and repented and turned to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, you are immediately washed clean, made right with God, and and in spite of all your missteps and misdeeds and misbehaviors, you are declared righteous and God commends you based on 
on what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that's why Paul says, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. There's nothing in ourselves that would make us commendable to God. No amount of effort and good works and trying harder and doing your best and making promises is going to cut it. So I encourage you to get off that treadmill of performance and stop trying and instead trust in His grace and let His grace transform your life and the way you live. And He will commend you and you can then can sing his praises not because of what you've done or what you've been able to accomplish or what your willpower has uh, allowed you to produce instead you can post about all that jesus has done for you he is the only one that gets to evaluate your life and his grace is his measuring rod let's pray Father God, we, we are so thankful that we don't have to live up to the rules and expectations of um, self-determined um, religious police. But rather, God, it's all about your grace and the work that you're doing in our lives. So Father, we pray that you would help us to stand firm in this truth and to know and to live by your love and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.